Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas. Well, last week was Earth Day, and uh, I began, so continued to talk about uh, the idea of global citizenship. And I just want to continue that uh, a bit today. I said last week that we're faced nowadays not with national crises, but with global crises, with pandemics, climate change, and selfish totalitarianism. These are problems that can only be solved, I think, from a global perspective. And I think the sooner we realize that and take up that concept, I think, of global citizenship, the better. We already have had the emergence of global consciousness through television and the internet, and corporations are very much global nowadays, and I think it's only a matter of time before politicians begin to think of things in that way. But they'll only do so if we, the global citizens on the ground, sort of stand up and demand it and identify with it. To be a global citizen doesn't mean that we love our family or our community or our country any less. It simply means that to really love our family, our community and our country, we have to have a heart that can take in the whole world. When you look at it, there are actually 62 million people around the world who already identify as global citizens. They are the refugees who are, in essence, stateless and therefore have to identify as global citizens because that's all that's left of them. And there are 62 million refugees around the world. They're just looking for a place of safety, any place of safety, wherever that is in the world. We're lucky to have a place of safety. And therefore, we're happy to say, I'm an American or I'm a British citizen. On the British passport, it says, Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires, in the name of Her Majesty, all those to whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely, without let or hindrance, and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may seem necessary. And with that, the the nation that I identify with asks all those whom I come into contact with to help me. I can therefore rest secure in the protection of that nation state and feel good as a result of that. And if you're jealous, the American passport says, the Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit the citizen stroke national of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance and in case of need to give all lawful aid and protection. We identify with our tribe and it gives us protection. But refugees have no such protections. They're essentially on their own and at the mercy of those whom they come into contact with. As global citizens, we can offer those who are stateless this same protection that we have ourselves because we can own them as brothers and sisters of our human family. 
as we own people in all states as global citizens. At the moment, we think of friendly or unfriendly states, of, of enemies and threats. But Jesus' command is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that challenges that. Like the Good Samaritan, we're asked to look after all people. And surely, with our modern society and global consciousness, that help shouldn't be contained by arbitrary national boundaries. As a global citizen, we identify with the whole planet, all those in trouble, wherever they are, solving problems and sharing the bounty of the earth for the good of all. You know, so many films nowadays portray a dystopian future. But one that doesn't is the Star Trek series. Always a source of cheap enlightenment, Star Trek portrays a future where the Earth is united not just with herself, but as part of the Federation. It's united with other planets that includes the planet Vulcan. And by implication, the Earth has united as one, and rather than warring nations, we've come together and now look outward as a sort of global world NATO. The Federation is depicted as a democratic republic led by a president based in Paris, incidentally, on Earth. And presidential powers in Star Trek include the issuing of pardons, declaring of states of emergency. Uh, the presence is supported by a cabinet. The Federation also has a Supreme Court, a legislature, a Federation Council with de delegates from all the other worlds. It has a constitution and charter, both referred to as the founding documents of the Federation. Now, I find this strangely comforting, <laughs> as it shows that this kind of system has been imagined and is already within the popular culture. It's a logical manifestation of the realization that we do all come from the same source, the same consciousness, the same ground of being, the same essence, that we are all interdependent on each other. And it's in our individual, national, and global interests to look after each other and to look after the planet. It, it seems so obvious to me. And yet I realize that the establishment of such an understanding, that you know, we're global citizens and we're all together, blah, 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 is probably hundreds of years away, at present rates of change anyway. Ten years ago, I used to say, and my wife will uh, attest to this, I used to say that it would be a shame if such a realization could only come about by an alien invasion or a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> but now I have to say that it would be a shame if such a realization could only come about by an alien invasion. <laughs> the problem is that time is short and we may not have hundreds of years to work this out. Climate change is bearing down on us in such a way that whereas 
we're now seeing various government conferences talking about it. In 50 years' time, we probably won't have the luxury to be talking about it. And what we want to avoid, what we want to avoid is strong men and women coming in with militarized solutions and persuading populations that force and might are the only ways left to us. What we want to avoid is strong men and women coming in with militarized solutions, and you can see it happening, and persuading us that force and might are the only ways left to it. And most of the dystopian futures you see in films are that, is where they've all decided that we're going to have to take control and we're going to make it right. The current rise of populism in the world is the beginning of this road. You know, where people say, I know the answer, trust me, and I will see you through this. But we're going to have to make some unpleasant choices. The seeds of that sort of thinking are already with us. But what is the alternative? To get to the federation way of doing things, which is what we want to do, rather than having to live through an eternal 1984-type state, you know, to actually move away from that 1984-type state, we're going to have to see the emergence of people willing to stand up as global citizens and speak both from their experience of the nature of reality and how it applies to the future of the planet. We will have to see the emergence of a new consciousness that's demonstrably relevant and practical in solving world problems. And it has to offer a realistic alternative to the Euroborous nature of the military-industrial complex that seems to be running things all over the world. Now, the Euroborous is the symbol that I put on your uh, service sheet today. And if you're watching online, it's on the, on the page that you, you clicked on. Uh, and it is the snake eating itself. Andy tells me that actually it's a symbol on Survivor on television at the moment as well, but I haven't seen Survivor. It's an age-old image, the Euroborus. And um, it is, in it lies the thought of devouring oneself and turning oneself into a circulatory process. It's aligned to the Buddhist concept of samsara, the concept of rebirth, the cyclicality of all life, all matter and all existence, all going round in circles. And in this case, what we're talking about right now, the militarization of solutions to world problems, the militarization of solutions to world problems leads to states and leaders devouring the very populations that they're designed to protect. They devour the very populations that they're designed to protect. When you're talking about ancient states and empires, you know, the old, in the old days, the law of karma means that such dictators always got their just desserts. You know, that old thing that Gandhi said, that, you know, that 
always murderers and dictators. You know, love always wins. But in a global modern world, we're caught up in a drama that's so big and something has to break the chain to move the evolution of consciousness onto a new level. Otherwise, we'll all be consumed by those survival instincts of our collective minds that manifest popularism and people to protect us. Such a shift can only happen on the level of the individual because it's only on the level of the individual that reality is understood. It is only on the level of the individual that true reality is really understood. All collective understanding is subjective. We agree or disagree. We take sides. We gang up. We take decisions for the good of the whole. Such wisdom is a compromise based on agreed and understood sets of values that are intrinsically man-made and therefore have no basis in absolute reality. They are our feeble attempts to make sense of the world. Well, the world will not be made sense of even by the deepest philosophy. All we have really is our individual experience of the world and our willingness to respond to what comes our way. That's really the nature of reality. We have our individual worlds and our ability to respond. As I said last week to Bruce, we all live in these individual worlds and it's up to us to act as world leaders in our individual worlds, even if it seems futile and ineffective, given it's only little old me and my little world. The present moment, as I've said before, is the only known reality. The present moment is the only known reality, and it is in the present moment that we take our place as world leaders, leaders of our own worlds. In an evolved consciousness, this comes with an understanding that what we're required to do within our worlds is to love. You know, if the consciousness is evolved, we realize that what we're required to do in our individual worlds is to love. And it is that loving response to all things that qualifies us to be global citizens. That's the qualification. Because when we truly love, we become part of the great purposes of the universe. I'm just going to go over that ground again, which I have gone over before. But I'm just going to, you know, the way that it works is definition of love is giving with no expectation of return. That's my definition of love, that you give with no expectation. There's no bargain, you just give. No expectation of return. And, and, you know, I'm suggesting that the currency of the universe is love. That this world was given with no expectation of return, and we were given our lives with no expectation of return. There was no bargain. You had to sign a contract or anything. And, you know, as the Bible says, God is love. It's because the cause of everything, the universe, plants, animals, is given with no expectation of returns. In other words, it's all given in love. The whole of everything is given in that way. 
So to participate in the universe in a true sense is if we actually love ourselves, you know, if we give love, if we give with no expectation return, we actually are operating as the DNA of the universe. We are operating at that same level that the universe is operating in. So in doing that, we participate in the currency of the universe and we become love at that particular moment. Therefore, we become the central aspect, the organizing principle. To participate with the universe in a true sense is to become love ourselves. And when we do that, we become one with that divine urge that's creative at the center of the universe. We become one with that source of all being, with God. And to love is to become one with the force that created everything and to become a part of evolution of all things into the perfection towards which we travel. And, and that end point, that second coming, is where all things recognize themselves in each other. We all recognize ourselves in each other, where all consciousness experiences itself as one with the divine. That's where we're going towards. So to engage in love is to participate in that process. And we do that in the present moment. There is no other place to do it in. You can't do it in your head. You have to do it in the present moment. And as such, we're part of a larger consciousness that is using us for the evolution of all consciousness. And the tool we have to, be, to do that is love. We open ourselves to being in the present moment. We see what's sent to us, you know, what that friendly universe has sent to us to deal with, and we respond to it in love. It is a 360-degree consciousness. We're, we are realizing that the things that happen to us in our lives, you know, it's no sort of... It's not random. Things are coming to us and we respond to them in love, understanding that those things that happen to us are what the universe is given to us to deal with. And that's the mindset we're asked to hold on to as we experience ourselves in this home of the present moment. That, that's the activity. We're asked to bring love into our home, which is the present moment, to infuse our home with love and to reflect it back into our home. It's what Jesus asked us to do, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We become global citizens when we see our lives as part of a complete whole, when we see ourselves as the wave in the ocean. We're not separate, we are the wave in the ocean. When we realize that we are one with the universe, then we immediately recognize that what we do matters, that everything that we do matters, because everything we do in our lives affects everything else in that whole. We are the drop of water that contains the ocean and is also a part of the ocean. We don't say, listen, I'm only going to identify with this part of the ocean or that part of the ocean. We know that the ocean has no divide within itself. And any divide that we might perceive is only something that's been made up and shared with others who also imagined it. We are conspiring with others to make divisions where no divisions actually exist. So to be a global citizen is not a function of doing. It's a function of being. It is 
being able to identify with the seamless reality of the universe rather than identifying with the artificial ideas and constructs that are merely created in order for individuals to band together with other individuals to make them feel better about their situation. Rather than identifying with ideas and constructs that are merely created in order for individuals to band together with other individuals to make themselves feel better about their situation. When you realize that there is only your world, that you are completely alone in the world, and that you are relating not to other individuals or circumstances, but you are relating to the entire universe of which you're a part, then you become a world leader, a leader in your own world. And as such, you take your place as a global citizen and a portal for love coming into the world. Love from within going out into your world. At the moment, I think the world is caught up as a Euroborus. We are eating ourselves in order to survive. The rich and powerful are literally feeding on the poor and the, and the powerless. You probably know these figures, but in America, the top 10% hold 70% of the total US net worth. The top 10% hold 70% of the total US net worth. And the top 1% held about half of that wealth. The top 1% hold 32% of the US net worth. This is how we've become a Euroborus. And, and this is true for the whole world. In the past, the Euroborus could regenerate itself. That was the concept, and start again. But our world is such that it is so great, our world, that we are all becoming part of one great Euroborus. And for that it has to be a shift in consciousness that makes that happen, that stops that continual feeding, us feeding on ourselves. We have to become a part of a shift in consciousness that breaks the current thinking, which is the rush to safety, the ghettoization of thought, and the rush to strong men and strong women who will protect us at others' expense. What we're doing here is part of that shift in consciousness. And it's what you do in your life on a daily basis. And this has been coming since the first axial age, since the emergence of Buddha, Jesus, Lao Tzu, and Muhammad. We're now in the second axial age, which is characterized by the rise of global consciousness and the realization of the unified nature of the universe. The rational mind is strong, and the rise of populism is the rise 
in the unprotected, so thought of, to seek protection from somebody else. We want to know that we're going to be okay, even if it means that others are not. This is wrong thinking, and there is an alternative. And if you want to put a name to it, it is global citizenship. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.